be happy but never satisfied. What's up, team? Welcome back to the show. We are talking about performance with Miss Sophia, the food anthropologist. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's great to be here. I absolutely love Sophia. She's been a, an amazing resource for me. She's been um, my health coach all year. We've known each other for about five years. And you are a PhD scientist, an author, uh, a beach ultimate player, a mother, a husband, I'm, I'm sorry, a mother and a wife. And a husband. And a husband too, <laughs> sometimes when Patrick's being, uh, you know, when he needs that. Um, and you just do amazing work. I just feel so blessed to have you as a friend and as a coach. And our community is very, very interested in improving and nutrition and lifestyle really play big into that. And you are just such a resource for everything nutrition and lifestyle. So I want to start by maybe just telling us a little bit about your story and how you came, uh, how you moved out of being a PhD a researcher and into doing what you're doing now. As a health coach, you coaches people around the world and a book that's on Amazon that a lot of people are benefiting from and all the other great work that you're doing. Great. So yeah, so interestingly enough, my academic work as a scientist was actually about food. I did a PhD in genetics and neurobiology on complex feeding behavior in fruit flies. So decisions of what, to, of basically how you forage for food. So that was my initial PhD, finding the genetic component of a complex behavior, which makes me realize, and I think we all know, the complexity of behavior and how, how there's a genetic component and then there's a huge environmental component and then there's a huge amount of interaction between the environment and the genetics. Right. And um, then I moved to Portugal and worked did a postdoc in medicine, embryonic development in humans. Then I moved to San Francisco and for a few years I just had kids, I, not just had kids because I think they're probably like on my CV, the thing that is the biggest highlight because the learning experience when you have children, you see the world for the first time again. Ah, yeah. You do. It's, it's yeah. very, from an anthropological point of view, it's very interesting because all of a sudden, um, you do see the world for the first time. Then when I started, when I went back to science a few years after, I went into grapes and um, sustainable agriculture, and that's another part that's really important. I think it, it is all tied in. We all live on this planet. Everything we grow, everything we eat, everything we do, is somehow influences other things. So it's, things tend to be not so linear. People want linear, quick answers yep. to things, but yep. that's not the way it goes. Yep. And the last position I had as an academic was a five-year position. And I decided then, already being close to being 50, that that was it for short positions. After that five-year position, even when I accepted it and signed the contract, for me, I was a, it was a very conscious decision that after that position, there was either going to be something long-term as a researcher. Um, meanwhile, I had you know, publication-wise things were going great. I had um, supervised students, etc. Between that being impossible at the current time with the cutdowns in science in Portugal, and my growing also, I think I changed somehow. Um, I started to have a hard time. What I like in science is the fundamental science, but we have an issue on the planet. We have people going hungry and 
babies without diapers and kids without pens and pencils to be able to go to school. Or drinking water. Yeah, or drinking water or food. And so things changed. And so what happens when science becomes very applied, it's usually focused towards making those who already have a lot of money more money. And somehow that started to affect me because I love to write and I love to be successful when I write. When I write a project, I intend to win it. I don't. You're competitive, yeah. I, I am. Not, not at the sake of the quality of playing when it's ultimate or the work, but even in the science project when you write, you want to get funded. Just like a bid for hosting a, a large tournament, um, which we will be doing. I'm so excited about that. And so. Yeah, I sort of lost the, trying to make money for the ones who had a lot of money in the academics, and so then I sort of changed and did a health coaching thing for one year. I took a degree in health coaching, a New York-based online degree. I loved it. I found that it just gave me enough information that I could go on and explore each, whether it's epigenetics of cancer and food, nutrigenomics, etc., on my own, because I am brainy and academic and I like stuff that nobody understands. Yeah. Um, um, and that so, was through Integrative Nutrition? Is that yeah, the Institute, uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Okay. It's a New York-based um, online course. It took one year. It's a one-year course with three exams and tests at every module. I think it has 12 modules about a month per module. Plus a practical part because you actually go into forums and do coaching practical nice. parts as well. So that the coaching part was very interesting. Huge. It was also the most difficult for me. Well, the, I learned... Oh, really? Well, the science part comes so naturally to me. Yeah. The part that nobody's really that interested in. For me, like the whole microbiome, what happens, I mean, you can go into, and in science, like you know, Tim, and you know that in life too, there's no, there's very little certainties in life, right? In science, things not only change because they're constantly evolving, but I love that part. The coaching part, that thing of living in abundance, the mental aspect of, um, being looking at your life and enjoying your life that part for me was yeah. a huge like yeah. I learned like how to deal with my family how to run le over less people in a conversation <laughs> something you might struggle with listening yeah beginner's mind when you're listening not listening already like tying it into your own experiences but listening truly just li like an empty box right listening so that was fantastic. And then the whole food and the whole thing. I think, I mean, somebody asked me this weekend how I feel about this whole change of life. And do I feel that it's been a successful change? And I think, again, there's so many components. And if you ask financially, maybe it's not um, like, oh, you know, I'm not swimming in money. And, right. Oh my God, I could have probably done something else if I if that, that was the really focus. Matters, yeah. If that was the focus. Right. But otherwise, it's been huge. It's been a huge three years. Um, not because of the book, not because of my clients, not but because of everything. Right. You know. Yeah, and it's so inspiring. I, you're. You, do you mind us? Tell, you're, how old are you? You're fifty. I'm fifty-three. Fifty-three. You look like you're in your thirties. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And it's a testament to the lifestyle wise, yes. that you live. And it's it's incredible and it's very inspiring because I feel like a lot of people get over 50, 60 and they just think that they have to, you know, that it's... Biologically, all there's no need. You guys think about it. If we live, it used to be 200,000 years that, that was established that we as a species exist. Now it seems to be longer. 
than that, maybe up to a million. And to be honest with you, when you couldn't run, you were eaten. Right. So we could live and run and and I mean be active well into them until up to the moment that we die. Right. And according to the fossil records, it appears that it, actually there were very old people back then, but just less people made it that old for obvious reasons. There's no medicine. There's no antibiotics. I mean, there were natural ones, but um, right. n no modern medicine, and so so there's no reason for physically. Of course, there's physical decay. Right. But. But you've made this change about three years ago, and I've known you for five years since Pedro yeah. brought me out of retirement, and we we did the bullet tour, and kind of got me out of Boston and back into Beach Ultimate temporarily. Um, and I've even seen a big change with Patrick. I mean, he's playing some of the best Beach Ultimate of his life. He's being very uh, productive. Yeah, it changes the household. It's funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's true. I guess. Well, we always ate healthy. No, maybe we're just getting better. Yeah, and just evolving like we yeah, all should like be. Like we all should be. But you're committed to evolving in the study of it and the application of it. Yes, but you know, I do realize it's almost like coaches in a team. It's not necessarily. I do live. I do walk the talk. That was the first month of the course, which is very interesting for me. Is like the first thing you got to do is walk the talk. So I do have a health coach. I do do what I preach. Um, doesn't mean I'm perfect. I love, like, you know, I love partying. We like to celebrate. Yeah. I love partying. Yeah. And I love a nice glass of whiskey sometimes, or a brandy, yeah. or wine, or vodka, yeah. with good pickled fish from Russia. I love the enjoyment of food and drink. And life. Yeah. And life. And excessive behavior is okay as long as it's only 10% of the time. It's what you do most of the time that counts. Your routines are the ones that, that affect you. That the, the, the damage you do when you do it not so often has a counterpart of a fantastic spiritual feeling that is also important for health. Right, gosh, we could dive deep into that. We could, and the guy who, the, the guy who I, I, I really liked him, uh, Joshua Rosenthal, who was the founder of, of IIN. He's always been a health advocate. He has a master's in teaching from the same university that I have my PhD in Toronto. So it's actually kind of interesting. I felt like a kindred spirit with him a bit when I started the course, although we're completely different. Um, like, can you see me putting Helen songs and dancing to a bunch of people? I don't do that. Uh -huh. It's not me. It, well, maybe now it is, but it definitely wasn't when I started yeah, the yeah. course. Gotta get out of your comfort zone. Anyway. Um, he started off owning a macrobiotic store in New York. So he moved from Toronto to New York. He had a macrobiotic store. He really believed in health. He himself was vegan. And right beside was one of those shoddy little cinemas that are in New York, you know, one of those little tiny things. And he was just, he started to think, why is it that my clients who are constantly eating really good food, I'm providing them with organic, good food that I know where it comes from, they're really into it and I see the people lining up next door at the cinema and they're eating hot dogs and, and drinking coke and they look happy and healthy and my clients are walking in here looking unhappy, they're pale, they're, they're grumpy, yeah. like something here. <laughs> so that's, I guess, how I want to start. Although food is no doubt the providing you the prime material for what you are and good quality food is going to make a good quality body, no doubt. 
the other 11 or 12 components are also essential and the brain is in the body it's in the same bag right brain and body the separation of brain body there is a blood blood barrier but more and more um oh, and you would add spirit to that it sounds like or soul or whatever well your heart i mean you have to want to live that's why people when they have pets they live five more years on average than when they don't right just love love yeah love and enjoyment and happiness and all these things uh all these yeah. things matter yeah so Let's segue into, I mean, you practice what you preach, and that's one of the reasons that... Most of the time. Most of the time. But, but you are, you're also preaching balance and enjoyment, and that's part of all of this. I think that's the toughest part, is the balance. For sure. But the food anthropologist was just such a brilliant idea, because I want to listen to people that have had experience in, in doing different things so that they can draw upon those real-life experiences and teach me. I remember in grad school, I had a couple professors that everything they taught was by the book. And it's just like, okay, like you're, you've done a lot of research, I get it, but you haven't done any of this stuff. And then I had one PhD, Dr. Lund, who everything he would do is very sciencey, but then he would go, yeah, when I was a strength coach with, uh, with my college baseball team, this is what we did. And he always brought it back to real world experiences because he'd actually been a, a strength coach and then segued into PhD. So he felt it, like he, he lived it. He lived it. And so what you did with the food anthropologist is just so cool because you spent a month living 12 different diets, if you will, and, uh, and then essentially blogging about, uh, before you went into it, you said, hey, here is what I think, here's my preconceived notions. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, we are, I mean, yeah, the way, it's funny that you should talk about that, what you were saying about yeah. that professor, that he lived it and so he could teach it. For me, this book was almost born organically. It wasn't an idea that I'm gonna do this. That my idea is that I have a client, um, a Dutch client, that I talk to on Skype every two weeks and she has a chronic stomach issues. And so she told me, in her on our one hour consult that she was going to consider taking gluten out of her diet and i said well that's that you know that might be a fantastic idea and then when i got off skype with her i thought i'm going to take gluten out of my diet for two weeks so i can help her best mm -hmm. in two weeks from now that's how it all started so the, there was no intention of writing a book what happened two weeks later when i met her on skype again and i was all ready to say okay alternatives and things you can do and how i found my to share with her or hear how her or to help her go through it, she said, there's no way I'm taking gluten out of my diet. I just love my bread in the morning. And I thought, oh, fun, okay. I'm gonna expand this two more weeks. And not necessarily because of the no gluten. It was, I guess, side, side effects of the no gluten. All of a sudden I started to make wonderful things without any wheat. And so, and I loved the fact that I could actually, and we had that month as a family, I have a large family approaching. We had, um, do you want to stop that up? No, it's fine. All right. Um, we had a couple of birthday parties, and I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm coming into the, I can't drink beer. Although there was one day that I screwed up, and I drank beer, and I forgot that I was doing gluten-free. That was the only screw-up in the whole. You forgot. I forgot. A friend of mine <laughs> and her boyfriend were having issues. She called me early in the yeah. morning, said, I'm coming over. I met her at the train station. We ended up having breakfast out, then went to the beach on my second or third beer with her yeah. at the beach, those little tiny Portuguese beers. I yeah. went, oh my God, I can't believe I just did this. It's in the book. Right. That's the only yeah. time. I completely forgot that gluten, that beer had gluten. Right. Okay. 
but anyway, that it is in there. That was the only time. But I love the power of, like, you go in and into a dinner party, all the appetizers have gluten. Like, all of a sudden, the my choices in food became much less. So, you end up almost going hungry in a lot of ways out of the house, especially in Portugal. There's not many options, especially for quick things like a, a bite in a cafe. Forget it, there's nothing. Yeah. Baguettes and croissants. And nothing. No right. pastries, no, no nothing. And so, I loved the experience. It, it's not that I lost a lot of weight, I didn't at all. Um, but that's why I stuck to it. And then I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this. I drink too much coffee. Yeah. I liked having challenges. I liked the challenge. I'm surprised at the, the willpower, because I never had much willpower, but, because I'm, I'm decadent by nature. I always think I should do what I feel like doing. Mm -hmm. So it turned out to be really, really interesting. And then as a scientist, obviously I start to study about it because I'm living it. Right. Especially the ketogenic. That was a that was a tough one. So you did a month of every one of these diets. Can you recall which one? I did a month and the orders. The first was gluten free because of my um, client. Then I did. Then we had worlds in London. Mm -hmm. I did coffee free. I thought, oh, that will be easy because I'm going to London, and they had set up a coffee stand right beside mm -hmm. Eric Booth. And Just your luck. It was brutal. Um, then I did coffee free for a month. Then I did vegetarian, ovalacto vegetarian, um, for a month. Then I did whole food, so no refined anything for a month. Then dairy free for a month, alcohol free for a month, ketogenic, which the, the regime I used is the one that they use in hospitals with children that don't respond to medicine to control epileptic seizures. Okay. So which is basically 75% fat food. So 75% of my caloric intake is fat and then um, protein and very, very little carbs. Right, very so you're in ketosis the whole time. Let's not dive into the individual yeah, ones until you get through the rest of them. Yeah. What are they? After ketogenic, that was seventh. Um, I also did paleo, macrobiotic, vegan, intermittent fasting. you can help this person more and that's a lot of the reason that I compete and I do the things I go out and try to live it too because then I can be much better for my clients and I remember Mike Boyle one of my biggest mentors saying like almost everything that he's learned from like really going in depth about how to correct back pain how to correct knee pain uh, these different things were born out of clients that he cared a lot about or friends that he cared a lot about and so that, allowed, that just made him really dive deep into it. So I think both me and you as coaches, it's kind of a labor of love and really good work can stem from that. And really great work has stemmed from what, what you're doing, so. Yes, I, I think, no doubt. I think only when you experience it, well and you know it yourself, right? How many things do you pull out of your toolbox for performance? How many things that you know that, oh my God, my, I'm, I'm stiff or I'm not feeling myself, I need, a day in the sauna, I need a, a, you know that because you've experienced it, you've gone through it. Sometimes, most of the time, you're more likely to be able to tweak things to to your or your client's advantages 
when you have more at your more tools at your fingertips. That's how I look at it, basically. It's like the experimental part is providing me with tools to, for my life and for my clients. For sure. No I mean, that, doubt. No doubt. That really one of my favorite clients this year is Bo and like Bo Kittredge. Like he said, he was at eighty percent these past couple years, and then he just won a national championship at one hundred percent. But a lot, I don't think I would have been able to help him nearly as much if I hadn't gone through kind of rehab and down-regulation processes myself. Because what he needed more than anything was to down-regulate, to learn that he doesn't need to train all out all the time. And to get him into, you know, teaching him how to breathe, teaching him how to release. We spent a lot of time in the sauna, out at the beach earthing, getting in the ocean, doing these things that if I hadn't had gone down that, I just said, I'm gonna be a trainer, and I'm gonna only develop explosive athletes, and the only thing that I'm gonna worry about is training, I never would have been able to help no, a, a client like that. Not. Of course not, and you know, you know as I know, that the, as you have in your four spheres, I mean, you know how integrated things are. The, 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 the performance with, with sleeping well, nutrition, training, resting, like you need all these things. And, and it's not that you get a, a book that says, okay, first do this, then do this, and everything will be fine. You know that. It's it's the adjustment to the moment, which is constantly changing. We're constantly changing. Right. And so that's bringing it exactly back to that. Um, that's what I'm a big advocate of. Number one, I think, when it comes to nutrition, um, is to enjoy food, enjoy buying food, cooking food. It shouldn't be a chore. Right. And that sometimes is not, especially with people with busy lives who work and do sports like we do, and you have to manage things. It's so much easier to just walk in somewhere and just give me uh, something quick. Yeah. Um, just the enjoyment of food, having fresh food at home, cooking, and enjoy Taking that almost as your mind, mindfulness moment right just go into the kitchen and experiment right yeah that was one of my big big takeaways from the coaching you did with me this year is like tim you have to commit to making yourself one meal a day and i was like okay i can do that and then you have to commit to uh no phones no books no, no nothing just sit there and enjoy your food and chew and chew and ideally share it with somebody yeah. That's the nice, if you can, I have two kids and, and Patrick, and so we have, now, it used to be that we always had dinner. We've always had dinner as a family. Now it happens we have at least two meals together, whether it's lunch, because the kids are at university, so they have more flexible schedules, and Patrick and I work at home, and constantly there's like, Mom, are you going to make lunch, or something like that. So we have more than that. But being able to sit down, and it's the time that you take away. It's a break. Right. And enjoy your food, and... Yeah, and a bonding experience. Yeah. Do you remember the last meal I made the family? <laughs> I made Sophia and the fam, uh, what was it, shrimp scampi? Oh, they were so good. It was so good, but I got two different kinds of shrimp, and the one, I thought it was pre-cooked, but it wasn't. So we're, one everybody's wasn't, like, one wasn't? Yeah, and we're, everybody's like, oh, thanks so much, Tim, this is awesome. This we're like amazing. enjoying it, I was so proud of myself. And then Patrick takes a bite of the uncooked shrimp and like looks up and says, did you and cook this shrimp and I'm like no I thought it was already done and uh, we pretty much had to go through and pick everyone out of it and y'all are good sports about it but I'll do better great. next time it was great and that's another thing actually now that you're talking about the shrimp that's another thing that I think there's a globalization of foods at this point food gets carried all over the place um, it's a huge 
source of pollution in the world. 40% of food that gets produced goes into garbage while there's people going hungry. So one of the most important ways to deal with that is eat locally, eat what is local. Find out what's local. We've been here, we had some amazing oysters from here, uh, just down the street. And even when you go to restaurants and you're traveling, find out what's local. Ask people what comes from here, because that is something we can do, and it's the healthiest type of, it's the healthiest food, the least amount of time it's from the earth into your mouth, the least nutrients are lost. And so that's one of the things that I think we all have to be a bit more aware as a, as a species of what we do to this planet. And food is a biggie. Right. It's one of the reasons I like Portugal as a training destination because I think you have a lot of good local food. Yes, lack of variety. You notice it too, Tim. Yeah. I mean, I mean you've been there. Right. I think partially because you hang out with us too and you have like food at our table. Right. So it's nice you get to eat and the sea is right there, which right. is just fills up your... Right. But it was harder in the Philippines because I'll... So he saved the capsized boat last time. Sorry, Tim, but I got to tell the story. Even my I was just telling like, Liam's parents this story because they, like, he at Nationals, a friend of mine's dad had, um, was just on the beach and had to do CPR. And it was telling me a story, and I was like, man, I just had to do that in Portugal, too. That was insane. So so just to fill you in, we live, Patrick and I live very close to the ocean, and Tim has been there a few times. He's stayed with us. And the last time he was there, every time he's there, every day, he goes to the sea, which is a couple of hundred meters away. And this time, he went to the sea, as he always, always does. And we had practice that night at Frisbee. We had planned practice that he was actually going to run for us and do the whole warm-up and everything. Everybody's looking forward to it. Anyway, he comes back from the seat and he's covered in blood from like the waist down. And I'm like, it looked horrible. It turned out to be not as bad because there was a lot of scratches, but a lot of them were, most of them were surface. Yeah. But there was blood everywhere. What happened to him? So you tell this the rest of the story. Well, I was just out doing my workout, and then I heard, like, help, and I look, and there's all these people kind of looking at this boat, and I thought it was a training exercise. I thought that it was, like, a Navy... Uh, 18 Finnish people with a bunch of old people decided to put too many people on one of those big floaty rafts. Yeah. And then... The, and then it capsized. Yeah, the curve brought it closer to the, to the, to the shore. I don't know what, what illuminated person doesn't right. realize. I mean, there's rocks. Right. Which were, was where you were. Yeah, but then the tide's taken everybody way out. Yeah. And I had my backpack and everything that I owned, and I just had to make a leap of faith. I'm like, I'm a beach patrol lifeguard I for seven years. I know that I can save these people. So I just, like, put my bag down and told somebody, like, can you please not let this go anywhere? And then I just started swimming, and it took me probably eight minutes to get out to them, and so many of them were already too far. And there was one that was like in super distress, and this guy is like, "You need to take her." Yeah. So, so this guy met you there, an SUP, or one of the stand-up paddlers. Well, he people. he was like, yeah, the supper was there, and he said, "You take these two. Um, I'm gonna go get the rest." And it was just me and him to the rescue. So I haven't told you this part, but he knows my cousin, oh. and he says some crazy American helped me uh -huh. save the fins. So that's you. Yeah. So I mean, so I just towed this uh, this lady and this guy in, and it was the reason I got so bloody is because it was it took us way downstream, and there was no beaches. We had to go up through all this coral, and she was having a rough time because as we got to the coral, I had to grab her, and the, you know she was very fatigued, and the waves would crash over, and we would get tussled and all bloody on the coral, and then. You know, it was a long swim. It took us a while to get out. 
but I really struggled morally afterwards because immediately after I was just too fatigued and there was too it was just too far to go to try to help anymore and the suppers were there and I knew that people were coming um, but so I went back to the house and I was just sitting there and I was just so shook up around like did me not having the strength to go back out of did people just die no and I was just really until you told me like hey Everybody was safe. Everybody yeah. safe. Yeah. Which is good. But you wanted to cancel practice. Well, I was like, worried because I was bloody. one of your toes was the the, the the biggest one was in one of your toes. It was almost like the right. the tip of it was. Right. Yeah, but once a lifeguard, like always, Kermit the Frog a bit in red. That's a funny. That's a good a good story. No, but we had a great practice that night. That was we did. a great practice. Yeah, and I, it was really actually nourishing to my soul for doing that because one I just needed a hard swim and I wasn't going to give myself a hard swim unless I did that and I missed that from lifeguarding and then two I just missed the the part of, of saving lives like being a, a beach patrol lieutenant yeah, pretty was impressive. Fun. so pretty impressive so so yeah we were having construction in the building at the time and the, I went out for coffee afterwards and the construction guy said I think you're a guest just had a huge accident because he thought you had been like, yeah. victim just blood everywhere <laughs> Well, cool. So let's shift gears and do. Okay, I think there's there's a huge, there's all these popular fads and diet. There's all these people, you know, and, and the mission at MP is to help empower via inspiration and education. So we want to help people um, by educating them. Yeah. And also going out and living it. So it's not the fat. Like, let's just get rid of the fads thing. I don't like the. the, the I'm not sure if I even like the idea of the the word fad. To be honest, um, I think all diets are valid depending on the circuit. Like. On the circumstances and what you're so that's for performance let's talk about performance because it, we can get muddled up into all these fads and fads and blah, blah, blah. Um, normally we didn't have options we ate what we could get for like 90 percent of our existence on this planet if not more we've eaten what we can get as we forage and, and move around and what we grow and what grows on our lands and whatever else that's what we get to eat in the last maybe 150 years, 200 years, things have changed hugely, mm -hmm. as you know. And no doubt that you can tweak your nutrition for maximum performance and to get the most response of your training loads and the type of training and what you're expecting of yourself. But personally, I don't think that that works just like any training long term. Do you know what I mean? If you do that thing, exactly that thing, the same thing, after four weeks, five weeks maybe, maybe even a bit less, depending on how you adapt, you will not, you, it will not have the same effect as it did initially. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense. Yeah, so diversity, almost like it's periodization. It's just like a periodization. Yeah. It's exactly the same. If you do the same training thing for six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, you're not going to have the, it's exactly the same thing. So it turned out almost intuitively that the one month is the, the, of the, the book is enough time that after two weeks you do feel an effect. It, when it comes to diet, after two weeks you do start to feel changes, and two weeks later your body has adapted. So it's almost like the four weeks. Now, that said, there's a plus or minus time for everybody because we are all different. And how I react to, to dairy free, for example, for me, vegan, I got really sick. I'm not saying, I don't know if I got really sick from vegan, but I know that I need to eat. I, I just do to feel well. I need some animal protein. It can be milk and cheese and eggs. 
but I need it. Yeah, every body is different. Yelevke asked me yesterday, she's like, is it going to come, is, is the programming going to come with nutrition? And I'm like, it's just too much. It's, it's nutrition almost, information. Yes. Nutrition information to education. Nutrition support. Yes, nutrition knowledge. Right. Yes. But to explore your own self and to really know what works for you, taking away... Of course, there are, for example, we talked a little bit about this before and how difficult it actually inspired me to end up writing a post about like a guy like you with your amount of muscle mass and your low level fat level to build more muscle. You have a hard time getting enough protein. So that's one of the things that we can You can definitely tweak protein and carbs. These two macros can definitely be tweaked on how much you eat them for muscle building and protein and carbs for for anaerobic explosive early anaerobic um, right explosive. let's start there with people that don't know what macros are okay what are the macronutrients so basically we can get calories from proteins it's just a type of molecule then there's foods that are high in proteins from carbs and from fats and from alcohol as well Alcohol actually has seven calories per gram of proteins. Fats are nine calories per gram, and protein and carbs both have four calories per gram of protein. So you can work out how many calories something has as soon as you know what the macronutrient content is in it, how many grams of each, or what the pounds, the weight, you can work out how many calories are in anything that you Okay, so if we were to do a ketogenic diet, what would be different from the macro ratios? So in ketogenic, the macro ratios are that you eat mostly fat. That is what it can ketogenic. So your body, which uses glucose for energy typically, which is a carbohydrate, it learns to trans to use fat for energy. That is what is called ketosis. It goes into ketosis. You can actually measure it with a breath thing. Your brain also, that uses preferentially glucose for energy, also adapts to use fat for energy by going into ketosis. Now, the interesting thing of the brain is that we store calories in our body as fat. We have a limit of how much carb we can store in our body. It goes quite quickly. 2,000 calories maximum is how much. But imagine fat, even a really fit person with like you know 5% fat, the amount of calories at nine calories per gram, you store a huge amount of calories of fat. Somehow the brain, when you, when it adapts to using fat for energy, it realizes it has endless amount of store as opposed to the sugars. And so what it does is it seems to, in the literature, in the scientific literature, Doing it so keto, a ketogenic, a true ketogenic diet for me at this point, I hate the word retox, detox, but a ketogenic diet is the true detox because you really you reset all your metabolism to now work in a different way, and in your for your so it seems to reduce all kinds of neurodegenerative diseases. And I'm not talking about being ketogenic all the time; just doing it once in a while for a week or two so hard to do cyclic ketosis it's yeah. so hard to do to eat 70 percent fat that's it 
Right. It's so hard to do. You just you almost get a flu. Right. I did anyway. So benefits of being in ketosis would be the benefits for me were mental, physical. For sure. I, I was like, God, we practice at night. I could hardly move. I was like, like right. And then Patrick said, and 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 rightfully so, thank God he did. Get your butt like off the couch, girl. Like I mean, like I. You're the first in the yeah, yeah. I love walking. I walk. Kilometers and kilometers and kilometers. Tim, I felt like an old lady. I swear to God, I was like, you know when you're walking and you're so tired that you're constantly setting up where you need to go and like, oh, that bridge I know is halfway that you see in the distance? I was shook. Like, I suffered through through keto. More more than like the eating, because we have really fatty, really good cheeses in Portugal. Right. So I could eat a whole fat cheese. That's right. But the... Um, the energy and the pain, and, and then I went, I went, to, I, I started the last 10 days, I, I thought, okay, I went crazy. It was something like, it was period of the game day, the third, we had a pickup, and I thought, okay, screw it, this is yeah. crazy, I'm going to start playing, and I went crazy, I played like three, four times a week, the last 10 days. But the first time I went out there, my, my arm, I was trying to do a sidearm, and it felt like, first of all, I hadn't trained in 10 days at all. Uh-huh. I had done uh, uh, physical strength stuff. Right. I had done physical, so so my, I was okay that way. It was the <laughs> moving <laughs> was the <Right>. problem. <laughs> it was tough. But yeah, you adapt. I adapted. Right. And, 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 and was able to, to play. Right. But the benefits of it, because I, you know, Jake Raddick's one of our big strong athletes on Zoodisc, and he was posted in the forums, hey, can I use coffee on, on the ketogenic diet? I'm like thinking, sure, Jake, why would you do the ketogenic diet? And like the, when I've done it, I've done it for increased cognition. So I have a lot of work to do. Yeah. I'm not going to be very physical. I need that yeah. uh, bioavailability. Like the fats are very bioavailable. So bulletproof coffees are tremendous. I get a lot of work done. I also used it when I needed to uh, lose weight quickly to try out for the dragons. And in off season, it's so, it's so, it's it's better than I think I would say if you're going to do keto in off season, doing keto in off season, and forcing yourself to do the, the strength workouts even when your brain is telling you go lie down and everything hurts, is not a bad thing. You can do strength workouts, but what about the idea that you need carbohydrates for ATP for explosive work? Exactly. So that's why I'm saying. The, the strength workouts are it, uh, keto, ke- the ketogenic diet. So that's the other part. It's so complex because right. you know, you know, like a little bit of sugar in the mouth rinse, and your brain all of a sudden is like zing. All yeah, of a yeah. sudden you're like, and you have basically, it's like home- homeopathic carbs, basically. Yeah. It, and and your brain just because of the possibility of there being glucose in your blood, it, right. it, it gives you energy. With keto, that part. You can mentally deal with it. And to be honest with you, I mean, during Ramadan, athletes that do Ramadan, it's not ketogenic, it's intermittent fasting, but they're, they're like, they haven't eaten. Sometimes they're, you know, in a competitive situation all day long, and they basically haven't eaten for hours or drank water. Right. And somehow they managed to perform. So what we can do is actually amazing. I don't think doing ketogenic off-season is a bad thing. I think doing ketogenic, like we had a tournament at, at the end there. Was it paleo? I think it was paleo. I was doing paleo. at a tournament? That was tough. I wanted sugar. Yeah. That's when you can eat junky almost things. It's like during multi-level days, eat 
quickly available carbs like white breads and pastas and right. white rice and right. stuff like that. Yeah, for me, that's when I did it, I lost weight because I'm like, in order to keep up with these Philippine athletes, I they're so light and fast on the sand, I gotta lose weight quickly. So I did that, and then I went into tryouts, and I just wasn't explosive. So I needed to add more carbohydrates into that, and it, uh, I lost the weight, and then I went back to it, and then I started performing again. And just to be, I, I, I know that people don't like to hear this, but just to put the science behind the weight loss that immediately occurs when you, when you go into keto, it's not a real weight loss. In reality, the reason that we store calories in our bodies as fat is because fat doesn't dilute in water, basically, and our body is 70% water. Carbs do. So every single carb that you have stored, every gram of carb that you have stored in your body of those 2,000 calories of carbs, has two or three molecules of water attached to it, so it's bulky, it weighs you down. So we're talking a proportion of one to two or one to three carb to, to water. When you go into ketosis or when you go into a ketogenic diet, after, so imagine two days with very low carbs, you have depleted all your stored carbs. You have not only lost your 200 or 2000 calories of carbs, which if you divide by four is 500 grams, half a kilo, you've lost at least another kilo or kilo and a half of water. Hmm. As soon as you have carbs and you drink water, that will be back immediately. So I just wanna make sure that people understand that their quick weight loss response with keto, that they realize, yes, they will lose a quick, they do it a lot for things like judo where there's weight yeah, and wrestlers, and, wrestlers yeah. and et cetera. But for us, so if you think, oh yeah, it's great, I lost two pounds, I lost three pounds. To be honest with you, the two first two, three pounds of keto are not, it's not real. Right, and what about the opposite of that with creatine? Because I got a question about creatine, and I always tell athletes, you know, you shouldn't be using creatine until you've gotten, like, plateaued on your strength. But they say that creatine a lot of times makes you bulky and kind of bloated. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think, I mean, for the, that anaerobic explosion is what, 30 seconds or something like that? Like, the, 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 the fast ATP thing? Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, I don't, you know, you know, Tim, I think we can tweak with foods for the, for the micronutrients, like the, the, the creatine, but I think, I don't particularly think that we, sh we should supplement with, with isolated, I, it's not natural. It, it, and more and more as the research is being done, when you start to see what is coming out of like the, 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 the performance benefits are just... Whole foods? Yeah, I, I think you can, you, there's all these things aren't foods. You can tweak by eating something that has more of this or that, which is one of the, the great questions that, I mean, eating more protein. So during phases, you should eat different, should, or I think it helps a lot to play a bit with your macros. I mean, that's what we were initially Yeah, so like that's a community a forum question from Marlena, one of our uh, grit athletes. So yeah. she asked if, like, how do we modify protein consumption during the phases? So just so you know, like our basic, the, the grit program, some of, the, of our basic uh, zero, sorry, one and two level strength and power programs, we have a slow strong phase, a lot of eccentrics, isometrics, but then we have a hypertrophy or a small strong phase where it is um, 
we do want to increase a little bit of muscle mass because if you increase the cross-sectional area of the muscle yeah, before yeah. going into a strength phase, more potential for strength. And then we go into a, a power phase. And she asked, how should we modify diet So definitely the during the muscle building phase, not only more protein uh, after muscle, after, and, and not only after, so it's timing is also a, a good thing here. One of the recent publications shows that if you have some protein just before you go to bed, that really stimulates, because that's when our body recuperates and a lot of muscle building helps, happens at night while we sleep, while the body's asleep. And so, uh, a glass of milk and um, or yogurt or something high in protein just before bed actually helps in the amount of muscle building overnight. Right. And this is the one time that I think sometimes when you're asking your body to eat 2,000 calories of protein in one day, especially a big guy, it's hard to find good sources of protein and it can be cost prohibitive. I mean, mm -hmm. if you can go and buy, you know, a, a filet mignon that's like a kilo of meat or whatever, but you, you can't. Um, and that's when I think sometimes protein shakes can come in very handy. And you need, you, you need it, depending, for me, no, obviously. I weigh 50 something kilos, I don't need it to get my protein load. But if you weigh, you know, 90, 100 kilos and you're really pumping hard and you're a top athlete, you're, you need to eat almost 2,000 calories of protein. Nice. So, oh, so we shouted out Jake and uh, Marlena. Let's uh, let's get some other community stuff going. So, uh, Anna B asks advice for vegetarian athletes. So the 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 my my thing here, since it's not clear if it's vegetarian or vegan, I'm going to talk about both. Maybe start with what the difference is. Okay. Um, so vegetarian, there's vegetarian, avolato vegetarian people who eat eggs, dairy, and plant-based products. And then there's people who actually eat seafood, others don't. When I did my overlap for vegetarian, I did not eat seafood, some people eat seafood. And then the vegan only eats, vegan diet is only a plant-based diet, so no animals um, at all. So for vegan, the, 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 the B vitamin complex is important to supplement with. No, it depends on how long you're vegan for. If you're only vegan for one or two years, it's okay. But long term, after about six years, we need a factor, we humans need a factor, uh, a B vitamin complex that we can only assimilate from animals. We can't, the vitamin exists in plants, but we can't use it. And what we need that for is DNA replication. And so we need it. And, and if we don't have it, the horrible part is that the symptoms aren't very clear. Near, normally, it's the brain stops to, stops functioning properly. You start to have issues, cognitive issues. So it's not easy to diagnose. However, as soon as you give vitamin B, things go back to normal unless they've gone too far. But you don't want to go there. You don't. So if you're a vegan athlete, do supplement. A long-term vegan athlete, do so, supplement with uh, with B vitamin complex. Unfortunately should be, they now can make it in the lab, to, similar to the plant, the animal one, but it should be from, right. because yeah. that's the one we can use. A vegetarian, the other type, if you're not vegan, the advice is exactly the same as for everybody else. Play with the macros depending on where you are in your, in your on your training schedule. Um, there's a lot of 
things that you can do prior to big events like what we had this weekend is you know the carb loading and the super loading and loading afterwards as well that kind of thing eating more carbs basically a couple of days before the event to have it for the explosive i had of one of the worst games I've played, but the pre-quarter, and it was a lot of it was because I didn't eat anything that day because I was having stomach issues, and I actually got sick in the middle of the game because I just couldn't. I was like throwing open poaching, like I just wasn't making good decisions, and I was like, "What is going on here?" And a lot of it was just that I couldn't stomach food because I had, um, you know, the stomach issues. And then one of the best games I had right before the game, we all had. Um, pizzas and I remember I ate a pizza a huge pizza and a croissant and Laura Laura says like I can't believe you're eating that and it's like it's the time I, to do it I, I need it and I just performed tremendous because I had all those carbs yeah. in my system and I'm sure it was gone after the game yeah for sure yeah. so the, so the carb loading is valid it, yeah the carb loading is valid and it is it is insane the 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 like I mean for me I'm not an elite athlete I think I'm one of those long-term athletes. Like, I'm like a diesel train, right? I just, I will keep playing yeah, yeah. forever. Yeah. But for the kind of, like an Olympic athlete or the kind of thing we saw this weekend here, it's a huge amount of carbs. We're talking like a lot of carbs. Right. So you do need to do go the pizza way or, because you can't get that much mm -hmm. with, you know. Well, that's why the goos are a good thing to take. Have you seen the goos where it's just yeah. a big shot of carbohydrate? Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, the complexity, that's another aspect about food that I think is, is really interesting is the, the complexity, the digestion itself is important because that's what slows things down. And so it keeps coming into your blood slowly. Those things are very, like in half an hour, everything is like... Right. And... That's like a universe I point thing. I yeah. almost don't like anything that's not natural. To be honest with you, I do it too. I mean, right. not all the time. But I almost consider it like the whiskey. It's right. like 10% uh, of the time because you need it, but it's not, it's not, I don't know, I have a theory, and it's not my theory, but I, I, I'm sure it's not just my theory, but we have a serious amount of problems with inflammation at this point in autoimmune disease because we're eating less and less real foods, I think. That was another thing I really wanted to go and into, it's, it's, is what it's, is inflammation and yeah, how do yeah, these anti-inflammatory diets work? Yeah. So that's one of the things that, one of the things that most, I, I'm going to go sort of like, I'll get there, yeah, yeah. but I'm going this way okay. first and then I'll come back. One of the things I hate right now about our food system in the planet is that for a family with financial difficulties, it's much easier. And the only way basically that you can put like, you know, a thousand whatever calories into your kids' mouths um, cheaply is through, through fast food. And then we have a huge amount of economics in, in pharma to try and deal with all the crap that we, all the sick people on the planet. And I think that it's just, it's sometimes, and in many situations, eating wholesome foods, especially urban families with financial difficulties, is really, it's really expensive. I mean, going to Whole Foods and, and you can't, and if you're just gonna, a cauliflower might not even be that expensive, but if you think how many calories, you have four kids, four people at home to, to feed, it's just not enough. And, you know, a Big Mac, and they're, they're done, yeah. calorie-wise. You don't have to prepare it. Though. It makes a huge difference what the content of nutrient, apart from macros, because the macros, protein, carbs, but the content itself isn't real food. It's, when it's not real food, 
our body reacts differently. And so one of the, now going exactly to answer your question in the most simplest of ways, is our cows, the quality of the meat in the cows, and a cow that's out eating grass the way it should be, and a cow that is in eating pellets of flour, which is not what the cow is made to eat. And so what happens is that the cow eating grass has in a meat from a cow that eats grass, has a proportion of omega-3s and omega-6 fats that come from the grass. Omega-3 and, and omega-6 are a type of fat. Omega-3 is the fat that everybody wants and, and is the, the anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, cardioprotective fat. Omega-6 is a huge, important fat, but it says, inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. We need to have that too in our bodies. Well, cows from the grass have one proportion of the threes and sixes. The ones that are eating flour have a huge amount of omega-6 and almost no omega-3 because their body's inflamed, it's inflammation. And so what we eat now from them that, eat it, that also did not eat what they should eat. So this is the kind of cheap fast food in general does not have, it has calories, but it doesn't have the nutrients. And then, because in our bellies, after what we digest comes another bunch. We have a community in us that has about the same amount of cells as are in our body, and they make a hundred times more genes than we do. Is that what you call the microbiome? Okay. That's right. Except the microbiome refers, if you're going to be really picky science person like me, uh -huh. the microbiome refers to the bacteria that are down there. And it's actually a much more interesting community of bacteria, viruses, archaea bacteria, uh, pieces and bits of DNA, basically. And they all happily exchange. It's like an orgy of microorganisms. It's called the microbiota, if it wants to. And the bacteria eat, eat, eat the yeasts that are also down there. So it's a, it's a party down there. And they make essential vitamins that also we need, these, these bacteria. It's called the second brain now. When they say gut instinct, there's a, um, because they make a biofilm along your intestine. You can imagine, right? If we think about like our gut and our mouth, it's like, it's all external, right? It's from the mouth to the butt and it's like a tube, mm -hmm. right? But there's a huge amount of communication that has to happen, obviously, because what we put in here ends up doing everything. Mm -hmm. And so those bacteria are really important and they're very dynamic. Like two days of junk food, they've changed. And then the little back. So kombucha, beer, probiotics, okay. yeah, yeah, this yeah. Plant. So that's another fun thing to talk about: probiotics and prebiotics. So probiotics are are introducing the bugs to be the the microbiota, the the small organisms. They're also like kombucha, and they're also a population. They're not just bacteria. Like kombucha is is actually a commensal population. Of, bacteria and yeast. Yeah, they all say like one million, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they provide the, 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 the animal part, the microbiota part. Um, kombucha, yogurt, cheese, uh, fermented pickles, um, anything basically that's live, which is a, a lot of our food. Fermented breads, a lot of like the sourdough breads. Now, think about it though. When it goes into your stomach, there's a huge amount of acid it's a pH of about two, the, the acid that we have in our stomach. It kills a lot of these things. Some of them make it down there, but also their parts make it down there. And that's the most fun part because you don't know what's down there. 
as soon as you collect poop to analyze it, they die because they're anaerobic. So it's like a mystery box down there in a lot of ways. The microbiome they can do because the microbiome just uses little, almost like flanking little pieces of DNA from bacteria and they can look at how much diversity is there in bacteria. But there's no way you can know what's actually going on down there yet. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah, it's very cool. So, it, it is okay to eat cheese. For me, I eat a lot of <laughs> you cheese. <laughs> Using my fridge? Yeah. It's got a lot of cheese. And a lot of different if, cheeses. Right. And if we're going to select different breads, we want sourdough bread because it has them? Yeah. And whole grain breads because it has the fiber. And that's the other part, too. What we don't digest. So, imagine you eat um, 200 calories of a chocolate cake and 200 calories of a really full of seeds and, and, and fiber granola bar. The granola bar, without any added sugars and with lots of seeds, you can only, until it gets down there, you can only absorb about 70% of the calories because your stomach has to work a lot, your intestines have to work a lot, and to tease apart the sugars and the, the starches that are attached to the seeds and the coats of the, the seeds, basically. You, you've seen you know, the plant part that we can't digest. That gets down there, they love that, right? So you want to have healthy foods for them too. Um, because then they gets down there, they digest a lot of the fiber as well. A lot of the, 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 the fatty acids, the stuff that we don't digest that gets down there, they make the mid-chain fatty acids for us. They do a lot of stuff down there that is dependent on what we put up here and what we don't digest because that's what they get. Everything else, like if you just eat white bread, crustless white bread, they have very little down there that is healthy and good. Right. So the prebiotics are the foods that make them happy because they feed them. And things like leeks, onions, garlic, all the smellies, right. they love that stuff. Huh. Um, we can digest the inulin, which is a fiber in the plants. It's called inulin. We can't digest it. That's their, like, candy. Right. One thing Cal Dietz told uh, some of his athletes to do and that I started doing for a while was just first thing you wake up, just chew a clove of garlic. And it's like, woo! Like, you kind of get going, but it also... Also very good for your um, circulation. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it made me feel, uh, it made me feel great. Did um, you have a girlfriend at the time? No. <laughs> this is just this year. So, um, yeah, garlic is, is kind of makes you stinky. I also had to stop uh, putting coconut oil on, like, because apparently that is very unattractive, too. Oh, it started to, like, you start to smell, like, too much. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it was. It's I know Patrick like, does, um, he always does, like, um, when you get sick, when you gets the flu, he makes this drink with Tabasco, garlic. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And then, and then he goes to bed, and in my bed, and yeah, sweats you're not like garlic. That night. <laughs> Stay away. It's brutal. All right. So here's another thing I thought of with this. Um, I remember Kristen. I was telling Kristen, which is Bo's um, girlfriend, and she does a really nice job. Every time I'm there training Bo, she makes, uh, you know, it's kind of a good, you know, I go out and I train them, and then we come home and she makes a good meal, and it's always healthy. and It's, it's, so good, it's eh? awesome. Yeah. So um, I remember I needed to lose weight really quickly, and I remember Arby Marcus, the CEO of Onnit, said that sometimes when you need to just cleanse or just push stuff out of your system, you can give yourself an edema by just chugging MCT oil. And I needed to do that. I needed to just, I had stuff just backed up in my gut that just wasn't supposed to be there. Are so, you asking me for, for my No, I'm just asking <laughs> what, and she said, don't do that because when you would do that, a lot of the um, 
healthy microbiome is yeah. flushed out, or is and that's not a. So it's amazing how quickly, it, 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 like how dynamic that population is down there. It's almost like something really bad happens in the game and it ruins the rest of the game. Like we can quickly affect things. Mind you, it's resilient. So right. depending on what you eat, or I don't know. As 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 your health coach, I'm not going to say, "Yay, Tim, that was a great thing to do," but. On the other hand, I do think that a day of fasting is 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 a very good thing, and it does almost. I mean, theoretically, you end up with a, with nothing. These guys end, end up with nothing to eat for a right. day if you just fast for a day. And sometimes I, I think that that's a good thing to do. Right. So, yeah. so, I won't do I won't do that again. It's just sometimes stuff does. But did just, it feel good for you? Maybe? I, mean, I like just I needed said, to get it, stuff out of my belly. It's yeah. like sometimes you just have a hard time digesting stuff yeah. when you've been eating weird food. And the whole bio-individuality, if it works for you. I find myself, like before I used to imagine, after a day of a wedding, Portuguese wedding, and you eat like a big, yeah. a lot of food, and the next day you wake up and you're like, ah, just ate too much. I actually, before I used to have light, like vegetable, vegetable soup and stuff, I now do keto on those days because then I don't feel like eating that much. I'll probably eat much less calories than, than normal. But I tend to just take out and, and do keto. So in a way, what you did is like a shock, keto shock. Yeah, right. But, but I do think fasting is will do the same job. Well, that takes us to the next thing is what is intermittent fasting and why is that There's beneficial? many ways to do intermittent fasting. A lot of, and, the, and a lot of, um, so this is one of the diets that has become hugely popular for weight loss. And then there's been, I guess, fed by the science of when we starve or when we not eat. Because again, back to the conversation of like 200 million, or 200,000 years to a million years of living, we didn't get food often, right? I mean, there was often times that we didn't have food. We would chew barks of trees and we would eat what we came across, whether it's bugs in, you know, on the ground or, or an animal that we hunted or whatever else. Until around 16,000 years ago when agriculture started. Until, until then, we were foragers. We didn't raise anything. We didn't have cattle. We didn't do anything like that. Until around 16,000 years ago. Um, so we would spend much, plenty of time without food. What they've now shown is that when you starve and your body starves, it starts to eat itself and it starts to get rid of the bad stuff. So fantastic. So there's a, 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 almost a regenerative power of fasting. And the, the, the science has picked this, the, 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 the press has picked this up to make intermittent fasting not only a weight loss thing, but also a health promoting thing. No doubt we eat excessively in our planet. We do. We all eat excessively, and a lot of our life is, revolves around food. Mm -hmm. um, intermittent fasting makes people reset that. Intermittent fasting makes people reset that. In a way, reset that and rethink that. And so there's many regimes. People, some people eat normally five days a week and do two days of a partial fast. The way I did it, I did like Ramadan. Um, I could only eat during eight hours a day, and then I would go 16 hours without food. That's the way I did it. 
Um, I could always do longer without food and shorten the feeding time. I couldn't go the other way around, which I did for a tournament, for example, because I started normally eating at 12, and I had a tournament that started at 9, so the day before I stopped eating at 5 in the afternoon so I could eat something before the tournament. Right, right. Um, but intermittent fasting is, is good for you. Although now, one paper has come out recently that shows that it's gotten so big now that with just the general population, older people wanting to lose weight, housewives wanting to lose weight, athletes wanting to lose weight, um, they, they now have shown that it's actually not that good for you after a certain age because your power of regeneration, because you do consume your own. So it's the right. power of regeneration in your 70s or 80s is not as good, then you have to be careful about not going into the good stuff. How long do you fast for right. that you don't take away the, the, your good cells? Right, that's awesome. Gus, we've hit almost everything. we got about 10 minutes left here. Oh no, we have one thing that we have to talk about, yeah. cramps. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Oh, Anna Bouchard, she's coaching for us coming up, and Great. she asked, uh, yeah, what's going on with cramps? Pickle yeah. juice seems to be the, uh, yeah. the So pickle juice is a great, is a great uh, I loved hearing it, but basically, cramps are easier to prevent than they are, obviously, than to, to, to deal with when you start to get them a lot. So the best is to just make sure that you eat the lots of the salt and the minerals that you need. So calcium is essential, potassium is essential, magnesium is essential, sodium is essential. And these are the things that are in electrolyte formulas like Gatorade. And they are, but you can also, nuts, leafy greens have very high, Bananas are very high in potassium. So a banana in a yogurt is a, is a fantastic, it's got lots of calcium, lots of potassium. So these are wonderful things that you can eat. And then I think that's another part that is essential is staying hydrated throughout the exercise bout and not overhydrating too, because the, that's a fine line. Um, and that helps to look at your pee. Right. That your pee is, if your pee is too very dark yellow or light, lighter yellow, because you also don't want to overhydrate. The hydration and the minerals are going to help you a lot with that. Is pickle juice, is it pickle juice just so? Pickle juice has got loads of minerals. No, it's got more because the, the pickle sat in there, the cucumber sat in there, and so a lot of the minerals from the cucumbers. It's high in sodium. So that would be better than pita light, for example. I don't think you need pick, pickle juice at all. I've never done pickle juice, and uh, or I mean, I, I, I've heard about it, but you don't need pickle juice. You can eat salted nuts, and the nuts themselves provide all the potassium and magnesium, and the salt and, and the salted nuts have the sodium. During during it, just before event, a handful of salted nuts and staying hydrated should be okay. Hmm. And muscles that are warmed up properly that have done, I mean, the, all of this, of course, right? Because then, you know, warming up is essential. Yeah, keeping your tissues supple. Yeah. That's another thing that I was asking you about, just with with minerals in general. I notice when I have magnesium at night, I downregulate better, so I take Epsom salt baths. Sometimes I use different magnesium formulas. Um, but then there's all these different trace minerals, and there's all these products on the market that, like Gatorade's made millions of dollars yeah. by just yeah, yeah, yeah. combining sugar with a couple electrolytes. Yeah. One thing that you said to me was, when I'm not sweating, I don't need the minerals. But when I am sweating, I am. So when I was training in Florida, I was sweating a lot. You're like, yes, use added electrolytes. Okay, but there's a there's a difference between your, your body homeostasis when you're sweating that you're losing a lot of your salts 
and the, the minerals that your muscles need for. So whatever you eat immediately, your muscles won't get it because it takes at least 300 minutes, at least. At least 300 minutes, which is what? Like three hours, basically, for the stuff to be available to your muscles, but not with Gatorades, that's true. Like it will be less, but the it's almost what you do the day before that counts. Right. When you're doing the super looks, eating wise, so we're not talking about Gatorades or anything like that. That's during the event. When you're not sweating, but if you start to cramp up, then that's a different type of loss. Right. And the electrolytes in the Gatorade are mostly just a panoplia of salts, basically, aren't they? Yeah. I don't do Gatorade. Right. No, I don't either. I'm all into this. I really think, I mean, you can find most things, you know, that. Through food, yeah. And that's ideal, drink. but that's a big lifestyle thing. You have to have the finances to do it. Like, all the travel that I do, it's hard. Yeah. That's why oh, I like yeah, living no, fuel on the thing. road. But yeah. supplementation is extremely expensive, the good one. Because the problem is, and I think if, if there was more control, there's some labs that are very good, and that's what I always ask people who I trust, like Pitbull. I trust Pitbull when it comes to supplementation. He knows what the labs do. He's a scientist, too. So you need to trust the lab. If you trust the lab, the problem is that the control, so you don't know what's in there besides what, you're, what you want to buy. So, and there's no control, very little control. In pharma, right. there's a huge amount of control. In these kinds of things, there isn't. And so I've had a client who had some serious issues. Against my will, he really liked the wheat powder. He was, and his cortisol, his adrenal glands just went to piss on And as soon as he went off, they were fun. Huh. They went crazy on him. He just used a, like a regular generic uh, wheat powder thing that he would buy at his gym. And uh, his cortisol levels were insane. And that's just through stress and stimulants? No, I don't know. I, I think that the, maybe the wheat powder that he was using for shakes had a, I don't know, a lot of sugar or the, the mix of sugars or maybe it just didn't fit for him. I don't know. Because a lot of bodybuilders talk about adrenal fatigue. And then they have to get these adrenal support supplements in order to get over that. And I, I've never really understood what what adrenal fatigue is. Like Yeah, it's stress, basically. Stress, and then people are drinking way too much coffee and using stuff to try yeah, to... Yeah, and I think sometimes the, the emotional aspect of ath uh, athletics and the performance part puts an amount of... Like any high level, it's like being a CEO of a big right. company. Because... And, and the... And, and the, the in, whether it, when it's on, on you as the onus as a, an individual athlete doing an individual, uh, something that's an individual thing, like I don't know, uh, an individual athlete, not a team yeah, athlete. Yeah, diver or swimmer, yeah. Um, there's a lot of onus on, 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 that's your life, that's your career, and, and that, so on the other hand, the team part, you're also dealing with letting down your team and right. managing team emotions. So that aspect of being an athlete can be, can be draining. For sure. And that's where the meditation, that's where like unconditional love, like we love you, win or lose, you yeah. know, all that stuff really and comes enjoying into play. enjoying the process. I think that that's really keeping in mind that you're not going to enjoy the process all the time, obviously. Right. Um, but quickly dealing when and realizing that you're not enjoying the process and make a conscious decision that you're doing this and you're going to you're to quickly deal with accepting that you didn't enjoy or something happened that you didn't like except learn from it move on right. and enjoy the process right I had a conversation with a friend the other day and it was like I just get back to 
why do you play ultimate? I keep asking why, and it just comes down to it's fun. And like, we have to get back to that, you know, like it's fun, it allows us to grow, like winning and losing isn't everything. Like what, what comes out of great tournaments, what comes out of the season, like have we grown, did we have fun? And I think if we've done those things, then yeah. you know, you can move forward. But it's, it's hard when you're the and leader, when you're the captain. And those challenging games that you go home and see horrible, your horrible drop or your, that defense that you could have had if you had just had the, the, the fire yeah. on the back of your eyelid, those are also learning things that if you can take that and harness that and say, okay, I'm going to focus my next whatever that, that is not going to happen, I think this is part, life can't always be good. And nothing can always be good, otherwise the growth curve is flat. Right. It's the shit that makes us then kind of like... That's the hardest thing about getting buy-in with some of the off-season programs. It's like delayed gratification is such a huge part of training. Oh, especially when you start off-season and you just you regress almost, you know? Yeah. Like you're like, everything hurts. You're and tired. we start with a slow, strong phase, and that is not as much fun as doing the explosive stuff. Yeah. But if you can get through it... Yeah, but that's so important. Yeah, it is. But a lot of, a lot of, I mean, in an amateur sport like Ultimate, a lot of athletes don't get it. And they're like, this is too much. Why do I need to be doing these corrective exercises? Like, it's like, well, I could just give you 20 goblet squats. You'd probably feel great afterwards, but it's not going to prepare you to peak five months from now, 11 months from now. How has that changed? How has that changed people's commitments to training in Ultimate in the last five, six years? Have you noticed a big change in that thing? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first started working with Ironside in 2012, I really thought going in that they were going to be like my Division One track and field football players and basketball players. I'm sorry, volleyball players, swimmers, soccer players. But turns out they were more like uh, they were just so green when it came to training. They never learned any of this stuff. And now. I think that we've made a lot of progress. I think almost all the elite club teams like have a base level of training and because those are the athletes that really are going to do what it takes to win and with the sport getting more and more competitive, you have to take ownership over your body, you have to yeah. take ownership over your training. So it's developed a lot, but I still, I still constantly feel like I'm compromising what the right way to do it being in the sport because it's not ready for, I mean, I come from very formal strength conditioning. I come from athletes that Which is have probably the best because you're living it. You're living it from, not only living it from, from living it from training people and, and being on the sideline watching, you're living it doing it as well. And so it'd be very interesting to see for me, and then I guess we can wrap this up because we're both going to be, I'm going to pick well, up my book. Well, it's out of batteries. Of, uh, I'm going to pick up my book and you're going to write a book. So we're going right. to do this and then you're going to pick up the food anthropologist and, and revisit it. Because that's one of the things that will be interesting to see coming forth from, from you as well. And for me, how things change. So the book was published a year and a half ago and I'm going to pick it up and revise it. And what I've learned is that things have changed since then. Not that there's anything wrong with the book, but things do change. I want to see perspective. And you're going to pick up something now. So hopefully this year, in this coming year. And then you're also going to keep Yeah, every year we have to look at it. Because that's for me. That's, a, that's the thing that I like the most. I think you, you keep learning and you keep changing and you keep building and keep exploring. Great. It's non-stop. It's non-stop. Well, let's tell. So you've got an awesome newsletter. So no newsletter. vitamin pills, unfortunately. Got no, 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 no painkillers. Like that's just not how it works. Yeah, no quick fixes. No quick fixes. You gotta like get your lifestyle and nutrition in order. Those two spheres matter. 
You're good at throwing and catching frisbees. I think when you don't eat well normally, either you're exhausted, or you, like in a tournament, you can eat crab. I'm not even talking about stuff like that. But on your day-to-day -day life, if you don't eat well, look into see what's going on in your life. If you want to keep your body good, if you're not eating well, it's probably because you're not happy, you're bored, maybe you're not even hungry, I don't know. But if you're not eating well on a day-to-day -day thing, look in and see what you can fix. Because you want to, you want to be around, you want to, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, putting a really crappy tire on your car and then expecting to drive, I don't know, around the world. It just doesn't work. So right. if you're not eating well, see what's going on in your life and see if you can change that. And eat totally. well. There's awesome food out there. Where can we buy your book and get on your Best Health, Best Life newsletter? So the, 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 on my website, besthealth.life, you can sign in. For the I love newsletter. the newsletter, it's awesome. Do you? Yeah. Yeah? I always forward it to... Yeah. yeah, sign in at uh, besthealth.life. You can just see right on the home screen. There's a, I need your email, and uh, we'll send you the newsletter. And the book is on Amazon, at, on paperback at this point. Eventually, I will do the revision in the next few months. Sweet. And you, when do we expect your book? I gotta. There's I so many plays. <laughs> I gotta make a lot of plays in order to make it happen. I gotta get through Europe. I gotta get through a video shoot. Next summer, hopefully. I think next summer we can be. Um, I gotta find a great editor. I think I have one, but it's gonna take a lot of play. I gotta delegate a lot of stuff. Um, I gotta get way ahead on athlete programs. I gotta, because the only way for me to really do it, I think, is to have just like you said, go into autistic mode for three to four weeks and just or, get it done. Or you can do it like this. The book evolved for a year while I was doing it. You can just pick up and whenever you have some time, do a bit of work. I, I don't think it'll work like that. I've written a book before and I got it done because I just have a lot yeah, of yeah, projects that really hold, mean a lot to me. Yeah, starting in January, I need to get back to work on the people that mean the most to me, and these and it's going to be a lot harder to give them all I have and to just be the person that I am if I'm constantly working on this. So it's but it's also gonna it's gonna increase buy-in and an understanding of so much that MP is yeah. by explaining it. So it all go together. Yeah. Yeah, so. Are we still on? Yeah, we are. It's just about to. It's about to die? Yeah, it's about to die. Bye. Great work. Your first podcast.